blah, 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 blah. Welcome to Behavioral Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. This is the 99th episode of a podcast where we discuss why we do what we do, we talk a little music, and we leave you with some ideas on how to apply behavioral science to your work and life. 99 episodes, Tim. Did you think we would have ever done this? I mean, it's amazing that we have come this far on this adventure. I would have never guessed when we recorded our first episode with James Heyman two years ago, that we would have come this far. Yeah, me either, honestly. Um, it's it's pretty fun to think about all the great guests that we've had. But uh, hold on, let's but, not get too nostalgic yet. Not yet. Yeah, we've got one more episode to get to that milestone of 100. Agreed. So let's get this episode started with a question. Okay, sounds good. I'm assuming you've got something in mind. Of course I do. <laughs> all right. All right. I wanted to ask you about your own behavior change approach. And which of all of the different behavior change models out there is your go-to for changing to a new behavior? Well, um, okay, so uh, there's a lot of great models out there. Yeah, and there I'm is. not really sure like which one would be my all, go-to all the time. Okay. Okay, so, but I like BJ Fogg's approach uh, with his so-called Maui habit. Oh, what's that? Well, this is like this little happy affirmation at the beginning of every day. Happy affirmation. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Uh, I like Charles Duhigg's Keystone Habits. I love the the Keystone Habit. You're yep. a fan of those, right? This cascade of habits dominoing effect into other habits, you know? It's that's sleep, like I always get. <laughs> that's a Keystone Habit. No, that I don't get. I you don't, yeah, yeah, it's, it. it's the Damn other it. way. All no. right, okay. Uh, and then there's Katie Milkman's temptation bundling for dealing with those nagging old habits that we just can't seem to get rid of. Yes. So Katie, I am so glad that you mentioned her for a number of reasons. Really? First, yeah. She's done some great research on habits, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Second, her temptation bundling is an awesome habit creator. Truly, truly. And, and third, she, she's our guest for this episode. Well, how about that? <laughs> Amazing <laughs> that you came up with Katie as part of that question. I got tipped off in advance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So Katie has a list of jobs right now that will curl your hair. She's a professor of operations, information, and decision at Wharton. She's got a secondary faculty appointment at the University Penn Department of Medical Ethics and Health Policy. She's co-director with Angela Duckworth at the Behavior Change for Good Initiative. She's the host of Choiceology Podcast, and she's a mom and partner all at the same time. Holy Hannah. I got to say that Choiceology is a pretty sweet podcast. Yes, it is. And on top of that, she's in the middle of writing a book. What? Oh, my God. And she took time to sit down and talk to us at Behavioral Groups. <laughs> that might have been her worst decision all year. <laughs> but uh, but we thank her for that. And she was a great guest. Terrific. Totally fun and engaging. And we had a great conversation with her uh, on work and insights into behavior change. Yeah, that it was. You know, she really was into our conversation about music. Just, I'm just saying, I think she loved it. Well, I, I know you loved it. <laughs> well, I saw you smiling <laughs> when we were talking about how she listens to music or doesn't listen to music when she works. All right, right so there was that. Okay. Um, but we won't, we're not going to share any spoilers at this point, so All let's right. just say that Katie will share some behavior change ideas that you can put to use right away. And by the way, we want to remind you that after our conversation with Katie, Tim and I have our grooving session where we talk about what we learned from our conversation and 
And there's more, Tim. There's more? Yeah, there's more. (laughs) Okay. We are starting a bonus track feature uh, that is going to happen after the grooving session, where we will give the listeners some specific takeaways from this episode and a groove idea for the week. I love it. Actually, and I think everybody's going to love it. I hope so. Okay. So with that, we urge you to sit back with your favorite temptation cocktail (laughs) and enjoy (laughs) a conversation with Katie Milkman. Let's start with Katie Milkman. Thank you for joining us on the Behavioral Grooves and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> we are super excited to have you. And so we start usually with a with a speed round. So so Tim, go for it. Okay, Katie, would you prefer to travel with an itinerary, a set itinerary or no itinerary at all? Set itinerary. Okay. I'm a planner. You're a planner. Would do you like coffee or tea? Tea. Tea. Okay. So would you prefer to live a year without a mobile phone or without a laptop? Without a mobile phone. All right. All right. So if one of our listeners wanted to start or end a habit that they had, would you recommend temptation bundling, fresh start, planning prompt, or something else for them to actually change? Ooh, I would recommend all of the above. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Okay. That's a great answer. <laughs> well, and with that, let's start talking about that because you've done a lot of research on on how people change and and some of the ways that they can help themselves to change a habit or start a habit. And so, you want to talk a little bit about some of the research that you've done on that and some of your insights? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, you alluded to a couple of my favorite projects that I've worked on over the years which offer different insights about how we can help people change their behavior in hopefully a lasting way. One of them that you mentioned was the fresh start work I've done. This is with Heng Sun Dai, who is a student of mine at Wharton, is now a professor at UCLA, the School of Management there. And that work looks at moments in our lives when we're particularly open to change and highlights actually at new beginnings in our lives. So moments that feel like a fresh start because they represent the beginning of a new cycle, whether it's the start of a new year, a new week, new year in our lives, because we've celebrated a birthday, even a new season. Anything that feels like a new beginning actually makes us more open to change. And so I think that's really interesting for anyone who's looking for an opportunity to change. You know about New Year's and New Year's resolutions, and there's a lot of reasons people pile on and create those. This is part of it. But there's also a lot of other moments that you can take advantage of if you want to make a life change. And those can be as simple as the start of a new week or as momentous as the celebration of a major birthday or the start of a new job, move to a new home. Anything that feels like a new beginning gives you the sense that you have a clean slate and all your failures in the past, that was the old you, this is the new you, and you can do it. So that's one of my favorite. And and it can be as simple as a new week. It can be simple as the start of the quarter. Those are our actual good fresh start dates that people can use. Exactly. Yeah. What we've found in our research is correlationally, the very same people are more likely to begin doing something that they know is good for them, like pursuing a goal or going to the gym more often or even searching for the term diet on Google 
at the start of these um, cycles. So the beginning of a new week, month, year, following a holiday or the celebration of a birthday, those create upticks in people's likelihood of pursuing goals. And then we've also shown in other projects that if you randomly assign people to have an opportunity to start a goal on the same route, but you either remind them that that date corresponds to a new beginning or don't, you get more take up of goal initiation when the date is labeled as a fresh start. So let me give you a concrete example. Imagine you're trying to convince somebody to start pursuing a goal, you're going to send them a reminder to kickstart, and you invite them to choose the date when they'll get that reminder. Okay. And then you give them an option set, lots of dates. And one of the days is labeled the third Thursday in March in one for some people, and it's labeled the first day of spring for others. You're going to see a giant uptick in how likely people are to want to start pursuing a goal when they see the first day of spring. That really attracts them. And you've actually even shown that you can get people to start saving at a higher rate for retirement where you, when you invite them to save beginning after their next birthday <laughs> in three months, which happens to, by the way, correspond to their next birthday. So it's just labeling, highlighting those moments. Hey, that is a fresh start. Calling out the new beginning for them helps people realize that's an attractive moment to begin doing something that's good for them. And is the is it just the label that is so important to, to the success of this of this tool? Well, it's a great question. I think the answer is actually that for scientific purposes, it's really important to us to isolate the impact of the label because then we can say it's not about some other change in the environment. It's not about everybody else also is creating a new year's resolution this time. So there's a social phenomenon. It's really psychologically about thinking it's a fresh start and nothing else. So that's one of the reasons we do the studies this way where we really isolate it. But the truth is um, it's much more powerful when it has all of the social meaning on top of it. So one of the, one of the neat things about fresh start is um, not only are they psychological, but often they get added power from the environment. So let me give you a an example. Starting college. It feels psychologically like a fresh start moment because it's the beginning of something major and new. It feels like a great opportunity. But it's also literally a change in your environment. So whatever bad habits were associated with your, you know, where you grew up, maybe there was a donut shelf in your house or, you know, there wasn't a gym nearby. Whatever those bad habits were that were triggered by the environment you're in, now you have a clean slate literally in your environment. So not only is it psychological, but there's a physical reality that the environment is and you have an opportunity to start from a blank slate. So Great. So that... So that's the fresh start component. You have some other hints for people on how they can change their behavior and help um, make that stick and to, to actually, you know, take root. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many tools. And actually, <laughs> you asked me earlier which I would pick, and I should just say, I think one of the most powerful findings I've come away from all my research with is we couldn't pick because there is no single silver bullet that solves this problem. Rather, what we want to do is throw everything we can at it, and that's how we make progress. In fact, in the research we've done where we've tried to test isolated solutions and compare their effects 
responsiveness to suites of solutions, we always find the suites work better. And I think part of that is such a hard problem. We don't ever want to aim a BB gun at it when we can aim a cannon at it, if you will. So but I'm happy to start telling you about some of the other solutions too. I just wanted to make that point. That just make sure that everybody tries everything. Yes. <laughs> like it shouldn't be, oh, I heard this one idea and that'll solve it for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Really we're is. human, right? We're, yeah, we're, we're complex it. creatures and yeah. we have a whole bunch of nuances that are our own. And so, yeah, so let's just try everything. So okay. what are some of those other things that some people can try? Can try. And, and I can talk a little bit more about, you know, not just – kitchen sink, but actually thinking about what, what solutions match your problem. But one of my favorite other projects was on temptation bundling, which you alluded to. So this was actually based on my own personal challenges as a graduate student with getting to the gym. I was um, going to grad school at Harvard. I was in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which tends to get really cold in the winter. And I had to leave my cozy apartment after a day of classes. I was tired and it was freezing to get myself to the gym. And I really struggled to do that. And I was trying to figure out how can I motivate myself? I know I feel better. I know I'm more productive and happier when I exercise. How can I do this more often? And I also noticed that I had no trouble at the end of a long day being really excited to curl up on my couch with a tempting novel. So that happens to be my poison. Your poison might be binge watching TV. I really liked Harry Potter in grad school. So I did a lot of reading Harry Potter and and other fantasy novels. And that wasn't so great either because I was procrastinating on my work. And so what I realized is like, wait, I could actually engineer a solution to both of these problems. I could get myself motivated to go to the gym. And, and so I enjoyed the gym. And I could also reduce all this wasted time reading if I just bundled the two things. So I stopped allowing myself to read novels at home. I was only allowed to read them, actually listen to them while I was exercising. So I would get audiobooks of my favorite tempting, you know, Harry Potter, you name it, whatever your favorite is, you can pick it. And I was only allowed to listen when exercising. So I would leave the gym on a cliffhanger and be dying to find out what happened. Next. <laughs> and I'd be craving the gym. All of a sudden I started, you know, I became a gym rat. So it was great. But I also stopped wasting time at home when I should have been doing my problem sets. I was actually focused. So that's temptation bundling. And the idea is much broader than, of course, the gym or tempting novels. The idea is that if you can think of something that you find tempting and combine it with something you should do more of as a hook, and ideally you do them together so that the activities actually are more fun when they're done together. So I didn't feel any guilt reading a novel with the gym and the time through. That's really amazing because it's like peanut butter and jelly. The two things are better together. Those are the magic temptation bundles. So some examples I often give so people can think about how to apply this to their own lives. Imagine only letting yourself go to your favorite burger restaurant if you crave those juicy patties when spending time with, say, a difficult relative you should see more of. <laughs> you're going to see more of that relative and you're going to eat fewer of the unhealthy foods when you should be dieting. Or uh, imagine, this is probably more relevant for women, if you love getting pedicures, but, you know, Maybe you shouldn't spend like tons of time at the salon and you also need to catch up on working well or reading for a class. What if you're only allowed to get those pedicures while you're simultaneously catching up on your work? Or you could imagine um, only letting yourself listen to your favorite music, which is behavioral groups after all, um, while you are catching up on household chores. 
And that might make it easier for you to keep your house in orderly style. You don't have to do the same thing. Some people I've heard from do that while cooking fresh meals for their families. They only let themselves enjoy certain podcasts or music while they're cooking. And that motivates them to do that at home. I mean, to some degree, this is kind of a classic multitasking kind of a thing. Do you ever get pushback from people who say, no, we should really just enjoy, we should enjoy the workout for the workout itself? Yeah, certainly. So people have philosophical objections. Happily, collected <laughs> data showing that this does help people exercise more regularly when they um, do this. And also people find it attractive. In fact, we were able to sort of offer to people, hey, would you like us to take away your iPod containing tempting content and lock it at the gym so you can only access it when exercising? And uh, the majority of people in one of our studies, all of whom, by the way, wanted to exercise more. So this is a select sample of people who are struggling, like I was. But the exactly. majority of people said, yeah, actually, I'll pay you to take away something I own. They I would will pay like you. They paid me to steal their possessions and lock them <laughs> That's how much they like this idea. So one, we've shown, we've proven that it does increase exercise, at least over the short run. I should note that the effects eventually fell apart in our study. We did a study where the effects lasted for about seven weeks. And then Thanksgiving break occurred in this project that we were doing at my university. So everyone goes home, the gym closes, and after the break, everything fell apart, um, which is kind of interesting because it's a fresh start, right? So you might be like, wait, I don't understand. And actually, that gives me an opportunity to tell you something cool about fresh starts that we found, which is fresh starts are great when we're trying to start a new habit because they disrupt those bad things that are going on. They give us that clean slate and they help us start something good and new. They're a disaster when you're on a roll because they also ah. give you that clean break and they actually disrupt whatever good thing you've got going. So you've lost, you've lost that momentum. You've lost that yeah. steam because now it's a, a new fresh start and that yeah, old you is gone. Yeah. yeah. Mostly they're good because mostly we're a disaster in life, right? And like we need help. We need a little motivation <laughs> off the couch and, and starting something new, but there are these situations where they're harmful. And actually my student, Hong Chen Dai, did a really cool study where she showed this by looking at um, trades across baseball teams in the major leagues. And um, some trades, I'm going to mess this up. If, you, if you're trading across leagues, you reset your season-to-date statistics, so like your batting average, you have to create it all over again. But if you're within leagues, you get to keep your old statistics. So both create a disruption to your life. You like move to a new town, but only one creates this fresh start feeling. And it turns out for people who had above average, you know, who are doing really well, the fresh start is actually disruptive and their batting averages suffer. But for people who are doing poorly, the fresh start is helpful. So you want to be created cross leagues if you are having a bad season and within league if you're having a good season. So you can go <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So uh, w tell us about uh, some of the new research that you're working on, Katie. What, what, are, what are things that are exciting you right now that you've got in the works? Yeah. Well, there's so many things. It's hard to, it's even hard to know where to start, but um, at Penn, I co-direct an initiative with Angela Duckworth called the Behavior Change for Good Initiative. And the goal of our work at the initiative is to really supercharge the research each of us have been doing and many others have been doing sort of in isolation on how to create behavior change that lasts. And so the idea is like, how can we have more insights like the ones that I've been talking to you about at a faster pace on this really important problem? Because behavior change is so critical to so many people, whether it's, you know, trying to create good habits around health or about your impact on the environment 
uh, your financial decision making, or even your education, so many of us are looking to improve. And we don't have a lot of science-based solutions, frankly, to help. And so we said, let's create an organizing body at the University of Pennsylvania that will help facilitate more. So we do a number of things. One, of course, we have like the traditional conferences, let's gather great minds and talk about it. But I think more exciting still is that we form partnerships with really large organizations that have customers or clients or you know students even, sometimes we partner with schools who are could benefit from behavior change intervention. And we have a team of about 100 brilliant scientists across different disciplines. And whenever- Yeah, you have an all-star yeah, cast. Rock stars. Yeah. You know what? I think it's so, it's so much fun to go to these conferences and work with these people. There are you know, multiple Nobel laureates, so many members of the National Academy of Sciences. I get sick of listing them. Um, lots of MacArthur Genius Award winners. It is really an incredible who's who. And also lots of really brilliant young scholars who haven't won those accolades yet, but will. So lots of up-and-comers, and it's just so fun to gather with these folks and talk about ideas. The real carrot for them, like why would they work on this problem rather than others, and why would they work with us, is that we do work to get big organizations to partner with us and basically offer a test bed for their scientific ideas. That is the scientific ideas of our scientific team. And we actually launched massive randomized controlled trials that are tournament style, where we're testing multiple ideas from different team scientists at once designed to change behavior. We manage all the data collection, we organize the group, um, and we organize the relationships. And that is our vision for how we can catapult the science of behavior change for it, is basically by doing, we call them mega trials, massive experiments that test tons of ideas at once from all different disciplines, so that instead of each researcher working in their laboratory in isolation or running one study uh, every five years with a field partner, all of a sudden it's happening much faster. So our last project was um, with 24-hour fitness gyms. We ran a 63,000 person randomized control trial to figure out how can we create more exercise. And we tested 53 different treatments or different programs, all with the 28-day programs to built by different teams of behavioral scientists to try to increase exercise rates. And about 55% um, of the programs we tested significantly outperformed um, nothing. Right? We had the control, control, yeah. Exactly. So a lot of things worked. And I will also say that my sort of, you know, meta-analysis read of the data is also the more we threw at them, the better it worked, which is part of why I said multi-attribute solutions seem to be really important here, too. That that is just massive to to have fifty three conditions in one in one study. That's just amazing. How do you, I want to ask? How do you prioritize? How you must have uh, within these organizations partners. You must have a lot of interest, you know, and they must be kind of hungry for doing uh, random control tests or or at least discovering new insights. How do you prioritize within the within the organization within uh, the behavior change for good organization? How do you prioritize? You know, what's going to what's going to be the next the next project? How do you decide? The next project is going to be on um, medication adherence, actually. And oh, I just, wow. the way we prioritize is we have um, actually pretty strict criteria for what will work as a project. Rep. And the first one is you have to be really big. Like it has to be feasible that we could get tens of thousands and ideally even hundreds of thousands of people into a randomized controlled trial. There has to be an objective outcome variable we can measure that really quantifies whether or not this is working. So not 
you know, how many minutes did the person spend on our app? But did they save more money? Did they take their medications at a higher rate? We're seeing actual refills at the drugstore and we're seeing fewer heart attacks um, in the ER. You know, we want those concrete outcomes measured. And then it has to really be for good. So a lot of partners that have come to us, you, you might be in a gray area. Is it really good if we get people to do more of this behavior? And we are very strict. No, it has to be obje- like, you know, everyone has decided there's basically no one who would be a naysayer. We all agree. This is not good. It's good for the person. It's good for the globe. It's good for everyone. And we just really objectively want more of this particular behavior, which exercise I think is objectively, you know, you could, there are some people probably who overdo it, but it's a really small segment. We can pretty objectively say that's a good thing. Adhering to the meds your doctor prescribes. Yeah, treatment adherence. Yep. These are all things that are not in a gray area. And honestly, by the time you slice up the universe of all those criteria, it's not that big. An organization has to be willing to invest a lot of resources to partner with us because this is complex to put on. And then, you know, we've, we've been prioritizing the partners we've had before or we know well, we have a really good relationship. But um, I think we haven't had to turn away hordes of potential partners that fit all our criteria. We've had to turn away a lot of partners, but I think the, the list that really fit all those criteria is not it's not so easy that it's overwhelming. I think there's a really interesting aspect of this, which is that you're getting all of these researchers working on this together. And so do you find that you're building off of each other's work once you start going in and looking at the different treatments or maybe even in analyzing the results? Are people building off of that? Or is this more still than everybody kind of has their own and, and they're working independently, but it's it's all put together? How do you how do you see that working? Oh, that's a great question. Well, what we did in our first trial was actually that we looked at the literature and we said, look, there's a few things we already know work. We're actually going to make you incorporate those into your program and try to beat them, try to make them, try to do even better than those things would do alone, which is a pretty high bar. Uh, So we we really made the challenge pretty significant for people. And the three things that we said, look, we already know this works. Let's just build them in a basic ingredient for having people make a plan. How often are they going to go to the gym? You know, what dates exactly are they going to go in at what times? Then we sent them reminders to go at those scheduled times because we know reminders are really important because forgetting is a big barrier for so many of our good behaviors. And then finally, we made it rewarding to go. So we gave, we call them micro incentives. They were so puny as to be barely more than points, barely more than, right, you know, giving somebody a star or a gold star, but it was a little something, a little hook, um, 21 cents per gym visit. And actually, at the end of the program, we invited people to donate that back and most of them did but it was a little hook a little carrot and so those three things were built in and then scientists had to build on top of them and try to beat that yeah the incentive part is really interesting tim and i have done some work in in incentives tim is you know really versed in it so it it doesn't surprise us that even if they're just stars or 21 cents a visit that they actually have an impact so you know those are fun stuff so that's very cool yeah, I, I, I did a project with Danny Ariely a bunch of years ago on uh, testing non-monetary rewards in a corporate setting and uh, against cash. And, of course, the non-monetary rewards just completely blew away the cash results, you know, just a- as expected. Um, Very cool. 
But I wanted to I wanted to, to turn over to the podcast if we could because this is really fun for us that we get to talk to a fellow podcaster. Yay! You, so <laughs> you're an, you're uh, you're a researcher and a professor and um, a mom and a uh, and a you know co-chair of a of a nonprofit and, yeah. and you've added podcaster now to your <laughs> list of accolades. Tell us about, tell us about for listeners who haven't checked out choiceology, they've got to do it. Yes. They, they have to listen mandate. to it. It's a, it's a great podcast, but tell us about it and tell us like what got the, what got you started? Why did you want to do that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And by the way, I know I have too many. You're pointing out that I have my own self-control problems with <laughs> overcommitment. This is why I study self-control. Some of I actually think it's funny. A lot of the people who study behavior change and self-control are like so incredibly self-controlled that they can't understand why the rest of the world has problems with this. And they're like, <laughs> everyone. That's like half of this, the field. I and mean, the other half of us are like disasters when it comes to self-control. And we study it and we struggle so much ourselves. So there's the researchers and the people who are like, I don't understand these like all these lab rats out there. What's wrong with them? Let me fix them. Anyway. Uh, okay. <laughs> we understand. We, we fully understand. So. <laughs> anyway, now you know what category I'm in. I'm, <laughs> I'm, in, the, I'm in the mess category. Um, choiceology has been so much fun to do. So it kind of landed in my lap. I got a call asking if I'd be interested in doing this podcast. It was about improving decision making. And it was actually right around the time I was starting to think about writing a book about my research on behavior change and thinking about how to have a broader impact beyond just the academy. My research is really by design meant to have an impact outside of the academy. So I'm not doing research in lab, I'm going out and working in field settings because it's important to me that this work reach a broad audience and help people and that we test it in settings where we can see if it works there, it's going to work in the wild. And so that was always part of my DNA, trying to create real change outside of the academy. And it, it seems obvious that a podcast was a great way to have broader reach. And this podcast actually that I took over already had quite a large following because they had done an episode of it um, with Dan Heath. And he'd done a great job as had the team at Schwab and at Pacific Content. There's a big team that makes this podcast. He's been popular, making great. So I listened to the episodes and I said, this is fabulous. And I think I can bring something new and exciting to it, given my background as a scientist. I'm sure we really get all the science exactly right, that we're interviewing the expert in every episode. And then what the rest of the team brings, which is tremendous, are a couple of things. One, they're great at storytelling. So that every episode has a story that helps illustrate the podcast's point. And I would never have been able to do that without this amazing team. They know how to find the stories. And the other thing that they bring is like an understanding of what is esoteric and academic and boring and not important that I lack. So it's been a really fun collaboration with people who are great at bringing the ideas from the academy to life. You can tell me when I'm getting too nerdy. And then being able to bring the latest science and the latest researchers to the podcast that they're actually reaching are, you know, many listeners. That's cool. You, yeah. you mentioned the book. Uh, I want to make sure that we, we get to talk about the book, but Kurt, did you no, have? Go ahead. Oh, so uh, you're working on a book. Tell us about it. I am. I'm working on a book and I even need my behavior change techniques, you know, my temptation bundle. I have accountability. I use all my tricks to make sure I'm writing. Um, the book is tentatively titled Change for Good. And it is with Penguin Portfolio, and it will come out sometime in 2021. 
And it will be finished sometime in the next few months, actually, but it's sort of a long process from finished to circulated to everyone who needs to read it and buzzed and hyped and then actually out on um, shelves and, and Amazon. But I'm really excited about it. And the title probably, hopefully, gives away what it's about, behavior change, um, and hopefully, you know, change that's lasting and transformative rather than temporary. And so it's what the initiative I lead is all about. And it's basically taking the learning from the work we're doing there and from my career and frankly from the team of scientists who come together around this initiative and trying to package them so there's sort of something someone can read that's both engaging and also really helpful if they're trying to make change in their own personal life or work life or they want to help others change. So it, it has dual lenses. It's both focused on how do I change myself? And most of the solutions to changing yourself can sort of flip around and say, okay, well, how can I use this to help people I love or people I work with change if that's, if that's the goal. It's not an internal goal, but an external goal. That is fascinating. And I, uh, going back to, to Choiceology, because I just want to make sure that our listeners, if they have not listened, they, they do. Because you, you talked about the story element, uh, which is, I think, one of the best pieces of of that podcast, of yeah. your podcast, because you bring these personal experiences in that when you start to listen to them, you're going, how is this related? You know, they're, they're very much where you're going, I, I thought this was about this. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, I get it. And you bring in some wonderful guests that really highlight some of the research and some of the behavioral science that's in there, which just makes it that much more impactful. So, so listeners of this podcast, please listen to Choiceology too. So. We'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. Yes. A absolutely. Uh, so we're excited that the book is, is going to be coming out relatively soon. You know, I mean, <laughs> and in the big scheme of things, yes. In a moment, in just a moment. You know, yeah. Yeah. sound like I'm pretty sure I'll forget by then. Anyway, I'll <laughs> have to come ask you guys to remind people when the, the book comes out in 2021. We will. We will be happy to remind people then. Um, could we spend just a couple minutes on music? I'm, I'm looking oh, at Kurt. Of course, you want to go to music. <laughs> I do. Yeah, see, Tim, Tim, it's music is Tim's thing, but we'll, we'll go there. Katie, you uh, when I think about like the arc of your your uh, academic career, like from financial engineer to d behavioral scientist, I, it's kind of mind blowing. Uh, and again, I mentioned all these things that you do. What are your playlists like? What, <laughs> what to g give us some insight into what you listen to and when and in what context you listen to music? I um, my playlists are extremely frivolous and upbeat. <laughs> so I like pop okay. music that makes me feel better about everything and makes me want to dance. So I'm, I'm like, you know, I love Michael Jackson. I love um, Taylor Swift. Those are, you know, so that's, that's kind of, you can get a sense of what my playlist might look like from that. And part of the reason actually is very behavioral, which is um, the work I do, while it's tremendously fun and surrounded by brilliant people, it's also hard and sometimes frustrating and it you can need a mood boost when you get you know null results on something you were so excited for <laughs> years and then that didn't work at all or you know you write a paper that you think is beautiful and you send it off to a journal and they send you a, a harsh reply saying you know this is all nonsense or you knew this already why didn't you read the paper from 1972 that <laughs> us this so there's actually quite a lot of rejection and bad news in academia. That's the nature of science. And I find that 
my playlist helps keep me positive. In fact, whenever I talk to anyone who's thinking about a career as an academic and they ask me, like, what are key traits that are critical for success? I'm like, optimism. And the ability to bounce back from rejection and failure, like on a dime, you have to be so resilient because there is so much bad news. Science is hard. Most of the time we fail. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I keep a playlist that counterbalances that. So, so do you use, do you listen to music when you're writing or when you're working or is it in those moments where you need that, that pickup or in between, you know, different a- aspects? I don't listen while I'm working, although, I'm, by the way, I'm, I'm married to an astrophysics professor here at Penn, and uh-huh. um, he listens to house music while he codes. And I'm like, how can you do that? But he, he can't he can't program without it. He can't get his work done without it. I'm the opposite. I prefer, like, isolated silence. And then yep. if my pump-up music is um, if I need to relax or recover and also gear up. Actually, when I was just starting my career and was so nervous about giving presentations at conferences. Like, oh my God, Dick Taylor's going to be in the audience. Whoa, how are you going to survive? I'm sorry if that's a name drop that no one appreciates. He's like, you know, a Nobel laureate in our field and a co-author of mine now and a member of our team. But, you know, like the the guy. <laughs> yep. And what I would do is like lock myself in the hotel room in the conference center and put on my upbeat music and I dance around so I was loose and excited and how optimistic and then I would walk out and go and give the talk. Um, yep. So I use it for those kinds of things. We we talked with Robert Cialdini. He was on and and he does something similar. Like when he's getting up and getting yeah. ready to to talk, he has he has music that he listens to in order to yeah. get him pumped up and in the mood and kind of set. You know, he uses it almost to set the team, maybe the walk-in music that he's almost using. Almost like a prime. Yeah, it's like, like a prime that he uses, yeah. you know, to to get him going on different things. And we've heard that actually from a couple different people. So, Well, and you remind me a little bit of Francesca Gino said that she likes to use it for dancing and that dancing is a, is a, a way of kind of getting up for something like, move, you know, movement is, is important. So she's only listening to music for the purpose of getting her body moving. Yeah, no, absolutely. And anytime I can be compared to either... Bob Cialdini, your friend Pestagino. <laughs> that, that's pretty great. All right. Well, Katie, so the last thing yeah, is just ahead. if there is any last words of wisdom that you would have for our listeners, what what words of wisdom would you want to leave them with? I'm like, words of wisdom? Do I have any wisdom? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> yes, more yes. than us. That's you, for, you, you yes, know, you more do. than Tim and me. So, uh, you know. Okay, let me try. So, Behavior change, if that's, you know, if your listeners, this this interview has been largely about behavior change, also behavioral science. But let me say, behavior change is really hard. It's really hard. Life is really hard, actually. Behavior change is really hard. And I think one of the reasons people don't achieve their goals is that they give up on themselves after they failed a couple of times. They think they're never going to make it. And that's one of the reasons I love my work on Fresh Parts is because I actually think we have to cut ourselves some more slack. Fresh starts are great because they cut us slack, but we probably should just do more of that in general and recognize, look, this is hard. You know, it, it takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, you know, whether it's trying to quit smoking, which is about as hard as behavior change problems come, or even just trying to motivate yourself to eat healthier breakfast. It's hard because we're creatures of habit and we're stuck in bed with things often. And the world is giving us temptation all the time. 
we're not built to do the right thing all the time. And so keep trying. You can't hit a home run if you don't go up to bat. Give yourself a break if you have a bad week or month. Look for the next fresh start. And don't expect magical solutions. You know, don't expect that if you join, I'm going to not name a specific <laughs> company, if you join whatever bad craze or product that's trying to get you to change your behavior, that it's just going to work. Because it, nothing has been proven to just work. And it, it's just keep trying, try everything, and you will make progress. All right. I love that. I absolutely love that. And by the way, for hesitating as if, oh, I don't know if I have anything to say. I think you just said a lot. <laughs> so. Oh, thanks. All right. yeah. Katie Milkman, thank you for yeah, being on Behavior so Groups. Thanks for having me, guys. This was really fun. Welcome to our grooming session, where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our Behavioral Groups interview, have a free-flowing discussion, and whatever else comes into our temptation-bundled brains. I love it. Yeah. 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 So temptation bundling. Temptation cool. bundling. That's a it's a it's a cool concept. Yeah, it's a great concept, and it fits so well in my life. I'll tell you that because because <laughs> there's stuff that I don't want to do that I feel like I should be doing. So, so like what? What what should you be doing that <laughs> oh, you're not doing? You're going to put me on the spot. I it's, am. I should be on the treadmill. Yes. And I should be on the treadmill. <laughs> Maybe not at the same time as you, but no, I, no, I, let's, I let's go at different times. Okay. Um, and, uh, but I, I have actually, my hack is to temptation bundle the treadmill time with uh, watching a TED talk. Oh. Yeah. So like I, I'll, I'll walk outside or I'll do stuff outside and I'll listen to podcasts. So, uh, and that's just enjoyable, right? Okay. But I rarely indulge in watching TED talks. Because you have to watch them and going outside, yes. you can't do that. I can't do that. So when I'm when I'm inside on the treadmill, I can do that. And then it's sort of an indulgence. And okay. I, and so I'm combining this little indulgence of watching the TED Talk with the less enjoyable <laughs> the action of getting on the treadmill. Well, I love the temptation bundling concept, right? It's it's making that not so nice habit or routine yeah more enjoyable and i think those putting those two together i love the when she was talking about people were going to pay to keep their pod their um you know phone or whatever it was that they had it wasn't a phone it was uh what were those apple things that were called iPods. iPods. That's what those are called, iPods, right? Yeah. So I have keeping, to put that in the show notes because there are people who probably don't even remember them. <laughs> They're not. We don't have that young of an audience. Well, I never know. <laughs> anyway, the iPods, you know, locking them away, paying the, to, to actually keep you away from those, except for when you get to the gym. Yeah. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah. That's pretty yeah. cool. And then, you know, Fresh Start, another great concept. That is I a great car. that was, yeah. you know, interesting. I've used that multiple times. You know, when I am looking to start a behavior, I will, I will specifically do it at, you know, uh, the beginning of the month or, you know, after your birthday. I've done that multiple times. After have, my birthday? After your birthday. Yes, I have to do it after your birthday. <laughs> well, and we do this in biz at work all the time, right? You know, there's strategic planning that, that tends to be uh, focused around the start of the fiscal year, right? Yep. And, and uh, companies are doing that. And, and that, that totally makes sense. But it, you could expand on that. Right. You can expand on that. And, you know, one of the other things that I do that falls into this category uh, 
and I haven't done it in a long time and I probably need to, is I rearrange my office. And when I want to start some new, like I know that I need to really hunker down and, and start doing this, this routine or doing something different, I will actually move where my desk is, wow. you know, change the pictures on the wall or rearrange them so that when I come into that office, that it isn't the same old office and it is a fresh start. And thus that new routine hopefully will take easier. Um, I really need to do that. Yeah, I, I think it's time. That. Yeah, I think it's time. I've gotten I've gotten stuck in my. I love that idea. I think that that's a great idea, and that's something that that could be done uh, in the work environment as well. If you're not working from home, which you might be, you know, to to that's just a great challenge to change things up in your home office. Right. But but something like that could also be done in the workspace. Right. Uh, you could start uh, again. I think about Katie said. You know, you can kind of make any day. The start day. Any day is the fresh start day. Right. And to be intentional about, okay, we're going to start something new and it's going to be at this next team meeting. Right. And we're gonna we're gonna change up the agenda. We're gonna change the way that we we uh, report to each other. Uh, I love I just love that idea that you can be intentional and just decide today is going to be the day that we're going to create a new start. Right. Yeah. Okay. What else? What else uh, came to mind for you, Kurt? Oh, so actually, the thing that I thought was the biggest takeaway from this in entire conversation for me was the fact that, you know, Katie said, behavior change doesn't have just a single silver bullet. Oh, yeah. That was a great image, isn't it? It is. It's a great, it, great it, you know, words it's, it's, of wisdom. Well, we don't, right? We You can't just expect one intervention to totally change your life. Yeah. The, the idea that there is a silver bullet out there that if you approach and use this, that you will somehow become the ideal person that you have always wanted to be is just a fallacy. Yeah. Uh, the idea, though, that you can change and that that change is uh, predicated by not just one silver bullet intervention, but multiple different interventions, right. I think is really powerful. Which links back to one of the things she said towards the end of our conversation, sort of her words of wisdom, which was just keep trying. Oh. You know, this is this is part of it to say, okay, don't just get stuck on this is going to be my one way. And if it doesn't work, I'm sunk. Yeah. Give yourself some slack, right? Yes. You, yeah, that was it, another great in, in another that great idea yeah. In that idea of we will fail. And those failures are not catastrophic. Well, if you don't, if you don't stay on your diet, if you don't get on the, the uh, treadmill, treadmill on a regular basis, <laughs> yeah. right? We we want to do that. We want to stay on that diet. We want to stay or get on that treadmill on a regular basis. And so, use temptation bundling. Use maybe um, some checkmark reminders. Use if then uh, triggers if then triggers use yeah. a number of of different methodologies right. in order to try to get you there and i think that is a takeaway that we should all embrace yeah i love the reminder of uh, how she said uh, we are not built to do the right thing whatever whatever the right thing is right all the time right you know i i it writes pejorative i suppose in this case but but this idea that Okay, this we're we're human. We're <laughs> we just, are we're just human. Well, you might not be, but the rest <laughs> of us are. We're all human. It makes me think about how uh, in the corporate world we can get so. Uh, I'm, I'm saying we because I, I was a, a part of this, you know, leadership structure where you just get 
caught up in, this is what we want done, so damn it, just go out and do it. Right. And, and, it, and those kinds of, uh, that disposition leads to inflexibility rather than the flexibility of saying, this is what we need to figure out, how are we going to get it done? Um, and and collaborating with team members and and other other leaders in an organization, just taking this this very strident, this is what has to be done, damn it, just go out and do it. That that's, doesn't take into consideration that we're not built to do the right thing all the time. Right. You know? Well, it comes back to, I mean, this whole idea of trying multiple different things. There's no single bullet. You know, give yourself some slack. All of those facets. Yeah. And that you will fail at some time, I think, is kind of a, a scientific way of looking at things, right? It is experimentation. It is learning from our mistakes. It is taking the best of what we've learned and applying it. And now let's layer or stack some additional things on top of that and see how much more we can do with that. It it takes me back. I, it's amazing that I always go back to Annie Duke, right? I mean, well, she no, just has some amazing she's concepts yeah. that, that bring in this. But I remember when she was talking uh, in, in our first interview with her where she said, you know, it's it's not going to take you, if you do some of these decision-making things and you're doing this, it's not going to take you all the way up to 100%. It might take you from 80 right. to 83%. But you know what? That, that 3% is pretty damn big when you consider pretty much everybody else is either somewhere around that 80% <laughs> right, mark. Right, right. So all of a sudden, you're 3% better. Or, and then if you do another 2% on top of that, now you're at 85%. And now you're at you know 87%. And those cumulative additional components of improving how you make decisions, the behaviors that you do, again, not one is a single bullet, but man, the cumulative power mm. of those and the differentiation, how you set yourself apart from the base rate, that normal, can be really significant. Sarita Parikh, I remember having a discussion with her about trying to get more people to stay with the GED process. Yeah. And she tried uh, all these interventions and was finding they were very, very modest. But but all of a sudden, over the course of a couple of years, all these interventions started to add up. <laughs> they started to actually make a big difference collectively, but not necessarily individually. Yeah. And that, I think, is part of what she talked about, too, that I thought was really fascinating. The other piece that I found from uh, Katie's conversation here is the behavior change for good. Oh, that's, that's such a terrific endeavor, isn't the it? Amazing work that they're doing, but just the fact that they're able to do such a large scale experiment where they have 53 different iterations that they're it's exploring crazy. It's crazy and that they're they are working on top of already three that they had said hey we have to have these three embedded in each of these because we know they work yeah so now you're adding on top of those wow yeah and we're going to connect to that in, in the uh, show notes because it is a rock star group of of leaders in that oh my in gosh that, in that organization it's just amazing i mean as she said there's noble laureates there's people yeah. who have been doing great work uh, that you you your name and you recognize them right away and then there's others that are up and coming and it's amazing we should get every single person on there to to be on behavioral groups okay 
Let's All right. let's do. We've we'll, already got a half a dozen of them or so. So let's yeah, just go. We got, let's we go, got a few. Let's you know, go get so, them all. All right. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go do that. Okay. So I have a, I have a question for you. We're we're talking about sleep. And um, do you have specific playlists that you that you defer to when you're having trouble sleeping? Is yeah. is there a music playlist that says this is my music to get me back to sleep? So in the past, uh, I actually tried. Uh, there was there's an app that actually has some. I forget what it's called, biorhythmic beats or some weird thing like that that was supposed to help uh, in getting you to sleep. And it was supposed to, you know, if you listen to it long enough and, and repeated, repeated enough in those sleep patterns that it, it kind of induced you into sleep. They had done some research in NASA. I tried that for a while and it didn't really work. Oh. <laughs> At you, least not for me, okay, right? It, so. did not, it did not work for me. All right. Um, but I tried that for a few months and, and there was, you know, it, I mean, I don't think it worked above uh, the placebo. Have, basically. You, have you found anything that's more successful? I, I don't have a specific playlist. I will tell you, um, you know, it, it usually is more of a folk music-y kind of background stuff. You know, it's the Angus and Julia Young sound, yeah. you know, play. Angus and Julia Stone. Stone. Yeah, not yeah. Young. Yeah. What did I... Um, Anyway, Angus and Julia Stone um, radio station on Pandora. It is uh, Damien Rice on Pandora. Uh, those types of music that is more acoustically based, various different pieces. But that's like vocal that. music, also. It you, is you, vocal music. I guess I'm a little surprised to hear that you're not going to just uh, uh, instrumental music. Well, because part of my problem in sleeping is that I get into overthinking right and mm -hmm. ruminating over things and so oh. by having the words i'm actually listening to the content within oh, the music and it takes me out of that rumination so oh, that's interesting okay so yeah so yeah. there good thanks yeah, for sharing and, and you listen you don't listen to music when you sleep i uh, sleep really well i'm really know, <laughs> really i'm really lucky blessed. guy you i lucky, am lucky guy i am but on those rare occasions when i do have trouble sleeping I do know that I cannot think about music. I don't listen. I don't listen to music in those situations. But I can't think about a song or anything like that because I start thinking about I start thinking about the words and the songwriter and how do they craft it and why do they choose those words. <laughs> you and just it, go down a rabbit hole. Well, it just becomes this big analysis, you know, uh, for me. Or I'll try to remember. Okay, so what would the chord be in in this situation? Okay, so we went from a B flat major seven to okay, so that sounds like a C, and I'm I'm figuring out the chords in my head, and it's too much work. So. <laughs> Um, so I don't do that again. My brain just does not process like that. So, no. which is why we we do well together. I think. Thank goodness for that. For ninety nine episodes, we've done pretty well together, except for okay. that seventy whatever <laughs> one. That, but it was a big blowout. God, you were such a jerk. <laughs> Or maybe, no, I was the jerk. I, I, I was the jerk. I, I was the jerk. You I were the nice guy. I I, I, anyway, it, it worked. Yeah, but anyway, 99 episodes. Um, and I, I, you know, the listeners, it's because of them and Absolutely. because of our guests. And so I just want to thank them as we go. And we're going to go and do a, a, a bonus track. Yeah, let's do a bonus track. That sounds right. like a good idea. All right. So listen up, folks. Hello everyone, this is Kurt with a bonus track and groove idea for our 99th episode. I enjoyed this conversation so much. Katie is such a joy to talk to and she has so many wonderful things going on. 
we appreciate her taking time to talk with us. Two key takeaways for me. Um, The first is that there is no silver bullet, that you have to try different solutions or behavioral hacks to change a behavior, that some of these interventions can actually stack on each other and create a more powerful behavior change uh, initiative. Be smart about it, but keep experimenting until you get it right. Second, and I think this was important for Tim as well, we are not built to do the right thing all of the time and to give yourself some slack. James Clear talks about when forming a habit or routine, don't beat yourself up if you miss one day of a workout or go off of your diet. Just make sure that you don't miss twice. Keep that momentum going. All right, so here is the groove idea for this week. And a groove idea is an idea or question that we pose to you, our listeners, for you to ponder over or think about sometime this week. So here it is. What can you bundle together to create a temptation bundle specifically for you? What is the behavior that you want to do? And what is the temptation that will motivate you to do it? Think about that for this week and try to implement it if you can. All right. So that's it for our 99th episode. But before I go, I want to thank you. We are coming up to our 100th episode, and we could not have done it without you, our listeners. We want to keep doing this, and the best way to make that happen is to grow the community of groupers out there. So please, if you like these episodes, share them with a friend, leave a review, or give us a five-star rating. We also want to hear from you, so please reach out to us with ideas, thoughts, and feedback. As always, thanks for listening and allowing us the opportunity to do this thing that we love. Thank you.